0: welcome to occupations the podcast where we discuss what it's like to hold specific jobs occupations is brought to you by lots of where you fulfill your vintage map gifting needs visit lots of
1: hi and welcome again to occupations the podcast my name is Andy Jagelinser and welcome uh, today's guest is Craig Gruber now Craig has two different jobs he's the research associate professor of psychology At American University but he's a department officer in charge slash chief of staff of indication and warning cell for the US Navy Uh, welcome Craig thanks for having me you have two different jobs one of them has to do with intelligence so I need to know are you gonna have to kill me after this is over because you've told me too much and does that also include my audience
2: well it depends on what you ask
1: Fair enough. But, fair I, know enough.
2: Some, but I, I know some guys that can make it look like an accident, so we can all feel good about it. Uh, you know what?
1: It's been a good life. I cherish it. But uh, let's uh, let's d- dig in and see where this leads. I know you have a really interesting job, two jobs. And uh, we're going to learn a lot about intelligence today, as well as psychology, and what it took to get your two jobs, and uh, and what it's like to to do your day-to-day work for that if, uh, if that makes sense for you so let's start with the professorship because uh, you told me that's what you you did first so um, give me a little bit of information about your psychology background and uh, how you became what you are today in in for American University
2: sure so um, you know it, it first of all let me just say it's kind of it's interesting to kind of think about the jobs and the progression and how you how you get to where you are because um, Thirty years ago, or thirty-five years ago, I never would have thought I was—I would be where I am today. I just—I just didn't. I guess to uh, to really get to the professor piece of the puzzle, it did not happen automatically. And for some people, they go right—you know—from college to graduate school and doctor school, and then right into teaching, and that's what they do, and and that's kind of their path. Um, I've always had a non-traditional, really a very non-traditional path to to becoming a where I am at AU. And it started with, you know, graduating from college with a degree in psychology of management. And I became a high school social studies teacher, which I did for 15 years in Maryland. I had the opportunity to go into school administration. While I was teaching and going into school administration, an old professor of mine said, hey, uh, I've got a vacancy. I'd love to get somebody to teach, you know, as an, as an adjunct, uh, and teach history of psychology. And he said, I know that you're like the biggest nerd that I know. And you find history of psychology interesting. So would you, would you like to teach it? And I said, I would love to teach that. Because I think that's, you know, understanding the origins of where modern psychological thought comes from is fascinating. But uh, so I started teaching that. And that was, that was just a lot of fun. And I had a great time doing that. Uh, so as I went into school administration and we moved to Massachusetts, did school administration for a while, and then I realized, you know, until I finished my doctorate, I really wasn't going to have the, the full opportunities at the collegiate level. So went back, finished my doctorate in social and developmental psychology uh, with an emphasis on history of psychology, because that's kind of how I roll, and uh, wound up teaching psychology at Northeastern University. And in the process, also joining the Navy as a reservist. So that's kind of how those two two things came together. I was I was a professor at Northeastern uh, while joining the Navy. So uh, what got you involved with American University? So what got me in, uh, involved there to begin with um, was I was in Washington D.C. I actually I'm a graduate of American University, uh, and the chair of the psych department there has been a mentor and friend of mine for years. So even when I moved up here to Massachusetts, I maintained uh, some contact with uh, with American. And I served on a couple of committees while I was at uh, Northeastern as well. Actually, their uh, Institutional Animal Care and Use Committee uh, reviewing all of the research proposals coming through there. <laughs> and then uh, was it uh, Northeastern University through... Uh, time. And then there was this uh, pesky little COVID thing that came. And <laughs> I've heard of that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was, uh, some people have, some people have. Yeah. And then uh, in the process of that was given the opportunity to transition back to American University and focus more on research and teaching than university administration. And that was really something that I really fell in love with. And, and that's kind of the, that whole research associate professor piece.
1: So, your time as a as a psychology professor, uh, is there a link to your
2: now job at the Navy? There is, um, and it's, it also ties back into a little bit of what I do in my lab at American because my lab at American University is Decision Science Lab. So we look at how people make decisions and what are the inputs that they have, what is the information that they consider, and when they're looking to make a decision, you know Some people make decisions and just kind of go with it, and other folks are very, very deliberate, uh, and some folks engage in what we call um, paralysis by analysis, where they will take so long to make a decision that the decision that they have to make is now moot. So as a result, even not making a decision becomes one. So on the Navy side, and my decision to go into Navy intelligence and military intelligence was really... Uh, brought about by what was taking place geopolitically during the time of the Bush administration with the pursuit of WMDs in Iraq. And as I was reading, you know, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, BBC, you know, Sahih Shimbum, you know, all of the, you know, Der Spiegel, Le Monde, all of these other things. I thought, unless I'm missing something really big, there's nothing there. And I thought, you know, I don't have to be the smartest guy in the room to figure out that there's nothing there. And it turns out, A, I'm not the smartest guy in the room, and there was nothing there. So I was right on both counts. (laughs) But in all seriousness the logic and the thought of myself, the thought I was thinking was, you know, if I can contribute to a decision-making process in which, you know, down the line I can make a difference and we can save a life by making people think about things that they hadn't thought about or hadn't considered before, that would make a career in the military worthwhile, and that would be valuable. So to really get people to think about uh, that. And that was really what I brought to looking at working in military intelligence and the Navy intelligence was, you know, hey, let's utilize a skill set where we're talking about how people think, how people approach information, how people make decisions so that we can make better ones. You can have all the information in the world, but unless you know how to assemble it, put it together, and really do it in a way that allows the data to tell the story, that's what intelligence is.
1: So, so, so yeah. at the end of the day, are you presenting a report to somebody about how you would go about certain things, or is it, we're gonna, we're gonna lay this, out, this information out to you so that you
2: can make the best decision you can so it's the latter, okay. it really is. Right. So it, it, it really looks at it and says, you know, hey, here's the story the data tells. Here's the story the information. This is what's out there, but we're gonna present it in a way that allows you to take this information and in an unbiased way, you can make the best decision possible. I don't wanna point anybody in a particular direction, but I wanna make sure that they have all the information that they need. And, you know, there's a really delicate balance because you want as much information as you can get. You want to have as much there and and as much detail as possible. But at the same time, when you're talking to decision makers, you know, when I put a brief together or I put a paper together, or my team does, uh, more importantly, when my team does, you know, we put together, a you know, either a, a paper or a brief talking points. It's, you know, here's... Here's the bottom line up front. Here's what you need to know. Here's the information. Here's some of the first and second level salient details as to why that information is relevant and important. Based on that, a decision maker can say, okay, I know A, B, C, D. I know kind of the spider or the web diagram of what the second and third order implications of this information is so that I can make a decision. I'm not recommending and we don't recommend a course of action, but present the information that enables decision makers to make informed decisions, where they have the information, they can understand not only what the information is, where it came from, but how it relates to their priorities and what the implications of various different decisions may be.
1: So, your psychology background allows you to understand how people make decisions and your naval background and your analysis of information allows you to put the two together and be able to present a story or lay out the information in a way that would help somebody make a final decision based on that
2: information. Am
1: I, do I have that correct?
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. And the other part is knowing knowing who your audience is and knowing who your client is and understanding that as you put that information out, the better you know them, the better you're able to present information in a way that they will receive it. So for example, a few years ago I was the I was the aide to a general. Amazing guy, just an amazing, amazing individual. Best boss I've ever had, ever, bar none. It took a couple of months for me to understand how he liked his information and what were the details and the level of things that he wanted so that he could make a decision and to understand the types of things that he felt were important details to have. So I would make sure that as I was putting products together or advising people who were putting products together for him, hey, here's what you need to have. Here are the things that you need to have so that as you prepare your information for him. The other conversation that he and I had was, and this is what made him I think one of the best was, he says, Craig, I only know what I know. So don't have people only tell me what I know. Make sure they tell me what I don't know because it's, it's those things that are gonna be important because that's where the second and third or effects of those decisions are gonna come from. There were times when we would have, you know, either I was presenting something or I was talking to him about something and you know it was the information that he that i knew that he would need for this particular decision and say and sir also you also might want to know abc
1: right that makes because, sense because
2: yeah. you know i know it's not in your typical hey here's what i want to know but i think these things are related and could impact and pretty much every time we did that it was like you know that he would say you know is that extra that other intelligence that you provided that provided nuance for the decision or provided the opportunity to say, you know, we're going to go with this decision, but instead of executing it in this way, we're going to execute it that way so that it would, it would do that. And it's, it's important to understand it wasn't, I wasn't telling them what to do or how to, how to do it because I would say probably 50 or 60% of the time, I didn't know what the decision was going to be in advance uh, as somebody was presenting information to him. I, I didn't know which way he was going to go with it. When he'd make the decision, I wasn't surprised. Uh, a couple of times I was surprised. Uh, it wasn't out of left field, but it, w- it was the way that he would be able to take that information and say, okay, this is important. This is provides context. This provides nuance. This provides the way a path forward we're understanding some things that aren't of primary importance but will be of secondary importance yeah that makes Uh, sense and it's the secondary things that may have may have relevance further on
1: i I would imagine the more the merrier when it comes to information (laughs) i I would imagine you you know uh i'm sure they're not looking for one paragraph out of you they probably want uh as much information they
2: can right you know you're you're right they do and it's um you know, the challenge is when is enough information enough? Yeah. When does information become intelligence? Because, for example, like many times you'll read headlines. You know, and the headline is, you know, there's, there's a riot on the streets of Tel Aviv. There are riots in the streets of Tel Aviv. Okay, that's information. Well, there are riots on the streets of Tel Aviv because the Knesset passed a law. Oh, okay. So people are rioting because the Knesset passed a law. Well, what's the law about? Well, the law is about a judicial reform. Okay, so why are people upset about the judicial reform? Well, the people are upset about the judicial reform because you know, one party in the government has a leader who's subject to a couple of, you know, indictments and things like that. So it's like now now we now understand that yes, there are riots, but the riots in the street are because a lot of people don't agree with the way that this particular political leader is trying to change laws and government so that they're immune uh, from what's going on. And that's the difference between information and intelligence. Uh, Intelligence provides context. It provides the nuance. It provides the ability to place things uh, and understand things in place and in time so that we have a broader global picture of what's taking place Uh, and and really enables to say here's what it means whereas information is you know your shirt is blue doesn't provide any nuance or context it could be that all of your shirts are blue it could be that you're colorblind we don't know we don't know we don't know why we just know what is, and that's the difference. Is
1: there any chance that my shirt color has uh, kicked off the riots? Well, you know the butterfly effect.
2: Yeah. You know, it could it so could. I should have chosen a different color is basically I, I what think, you're saying. I think. I okay. think. I think if you if you had gone more teal or turquoise, that is good
1: information. And yeah. You are the information guy. All right. So so the bottom line is the end of the day, the, uh, you're working for the Department of Defense. Yep. There are lots of people that analyze information. Yes. You're not the only guy. I'm pretty sure that that's the case. But you have a specific role in this. You've studied the psychology of decision-making. You have that skill. I'm assuming there's not a guy like you dealing with every piece of information coming through. So why... First of all, am I right
0: yes. about that? Okay. yeah.
1: So why does your position... I mean, it doesn't fit into every notch, every piece of information. So where does yours fit? Where do you fit versus a, a, a situation where somebody doesn't need somebody uh, like you that, that would, would have that uh, skill set?
2: So I think that, you know, there's there's really two parts to look at. And one is, you know, do you have many PhD psychologists who run in, in indications and warning cell? No, you don't. What we do have are... Uh, some folks who are really, really good analysts. And do you need you know, somebody like me in every analytical framework or any, every analytical piece? No, you don't. But part of the way and part of the reasons that things are set up the way they are for information flow is as you rise higher in the ranks and as you get further along, you have that ability to know, hey, what are my decision makers how are they going to approach information and what what intelligence will inform their decisions. You know, that's an important piece too because you don't want some people to be kind of the gatekeeper of information like where they're cherry picking information, say, oh, they get this and this, but they don't get that. Right, right. Because it could be that that, that other piece is is that nuance, which, you know, my general would, would say, yes, that's the piece of information I need. So people have said, you know, you, you, there aren't many Navy Intel analysts who have a PhD in psychology and focus on decision-making. You're kind of a unicorn. Got it. I am a unicorn. That's fine. But let's help educate and train people so that although I may be a unicorn, you get the unicorn dust everywhere. Got it. Got it. So, so you're, you're able to potentially help others with
1: preparing information in a way that helps their decision-making. So y- even though
2: you have the, the PhD in it, you can still teach others uh, certain ways to do it. Yeah. And, okay. and I don't, don't want to come across as, you know, hubristic of this is, you know, the, you know, he's the only, you know, this is the only way we do it. When I was a teacher, one of the things that I did was I trained a lot of teachers uh, and I trained them how to teach um, AP classes, specifically advanced placement psychology. And when I would go to workshops, You know, people would say, oh, well, you know, what are the lesson plans? How do we do this? You know, how do do I approach this? How do I teach this? And I would always say, look, I, I can show you my way. It's not the way. It's a way. This is the way that I do it. But you're not me. So take the way that I do it and make it what's best for you so that you're teaching it your way. Because if you try to do what I do... I'm marginally successful at what I do anyway. <laughs> Maybe you'll be more successful at doing it my way, but make it yours. Take it and make it that way. So it's a, a, a
1: feed a man a fish versus teach a man to fish. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And being in the
2: Navy, I would assume you've done a lot of fishing um, off of some sort of ship. Well, I'm Navy intelligence. So I understand that there are these big gray floaty things out there. Right. I heard, I heard they're great. Excellent. They're ships. They're wonderful. They're wonderful. But my entire sea time uh, has consisted of a tour, a tour on the USS Constitution. And by that, I mean a literal tour of the USS Constitution. That's, that's my so entire sea using time. transitive properties, that means I'm in the Navy, too, because I've been on that same tour. You and I have the same amount of sea time Excellent. in the Navy. Yes. Excellent. Excellent. Yes. All right. So let's talk about intelligence,
1: um, intelligence gathering. Um, now, you're not a gatherer. Uh, you're you're an analyst, and I know you can't talk about who your clients are, or or even any of the the intelligence that you are, are are going through or have gone through. But at what level are we talking about? Are are you talking about top secret information? Is there is there things like that uh, that that you've dealt with, or is that off the table too? You can't even tell me that.
2: So uh, I'm an all source analyst, so I deal with everything. Got it. So. Uh, you know, sometimes the most important and most relevant stuff is the stuff that you read in the paper or hear on the radio.
1: Right. Okay. So I'm assuming there are times when you need to go in into lockdown in order to view a piece of information. We've learned about skiffs and and all the things over the last, uh, let's see, what is it? Uh, Four years, six years uh, that we've learned a lot about that kind of information and handling top secret information. I'm assuming you spent a lot of time in those kind of... And that's why yeah. I couldn't talk to you this morning. I was, I was in a skiff. All right. Interesting to know. So there's a skiff around here somewhere. That is intelligence.
2: Well, there's, there's actually internet. interesting. Uh, actually, the New York Times did a, did a piece about uh, five, eight years ago called Top Secret America. You know, you can, you can Google it, and it shows you where, basically where all the skiffs around the country are mm. and, and where kind of the, the centers of, of intelligence and analysis are. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it was pretty cool tell me a little bit about your day-to-day
1: uh you know we're here talking about the job itself let's talk about well let's talk about the uh the teaching side at american
2: university what's your day-to-day basically life like there so for the for the university when i'm not on uh when i'm not on active duty orders you know my day will begin an awful lot like it does here which is you know i'll read three four newspapers in the morning before before breakfast with coffee um you know, I'll skim the headlines, read a couple of articles, uh, New York Times, um, Wall Street Journal, uh, BBC, Associated Press, and um, you know, some other uh, newspapers as well, uh, to kind of get a lay of, okay, what's going on in the world and how are other people looking at it. On teaching days, uh, kind of the day before, you know, make sure that we that I look through the syllabus of you know the class that I'm teaching. What am I teaching tomorrow? And I'll spend that day prior making sure that not only for the reading that I've assigned for the students that I've refreshed on my reading, uh, but I've also refreshed on any of the current literature uh, that's happening on that particular topic, so that we can talk about that. Generally. Uh, much to my students' chagrin sometimes when I'm teaching, you know, it wouldn't be unusual for me to teach a two and a half hour class and have six slides. And it drives my students nuts. And they're like, <laughs> why, like, okay, there's six slides, but there are only four bullet points on this slide. It's like, yeah, so the slides are there more of like a memory aid for me to help me remember what we're gonna talk about or right. some of the nuances that I wanna make sure that we talk about. Rather than for you to copy down the slides so that you've gotten all the all the information, uh, because it's not a lecture; it's a discussion, uh, and, and so you're going to actually
1: have to remember this discussion. It's not necessarily just uh, you know doodling on your on your napkin.
2: Oh, they do a fair amount of doodling on the napkin too. Uh, okay. It actually it's a funny story. I was I was teaching teaching one class, and it was a it was a pretty obscure concept, and oftentimes students have a lot of time have. have had a difficult time remembering it and, and we were we were going through and we were talking about it and a student goes, Yes This is right <laughs> after an explanation I felt really good about. It. Yes. I was like, Great, you got it and he goes, Yeah, I did. I've been trying to win this thing on an online auction for three <laughs> weeks and I finally got it just now. And I'm like Well, God bless you for being honest that you were doing the online auction <laughs> during class. Um by the way, can you tell me about the, the point that we were just talking about? He's like, no, I have no idea. No idea whatsoever. So
1: so what was the decision-making he made to, uh, to make that statement uh, in front of you? I don't uh,
2: know. You know, that was, that was what we call poor judgment. Um, it, was, it was funny. I mean, he got points for being funny, but those were the, tragically the only what, points Was it he got. at least something good that he got on the auction? You know, it was a pair of shoes. Huh. They were nice-looking shoes, I will I say. I would hope so. Yeah. They were nice shoes. Okay. So.
1: All right.
0: Lots of vintage, local, national and world maps for an affordable price. 99% of our maps are $25 or less. Great as gifts. Frame them or put them under glass for your home, vacation home or as a memory of a special place. Lots of maps.com.
1: So you're working in today's world, you're working with today's uh, stories and facts and information. Uh, you're not looking back historically back at something, hey, let's talk about the Nixon, you know, Watergate scandal, blah, blah, blah. We're, we're talking
2: about today's taking today's information, using it in the classroom. Well, we're talking about today's information and using in the, in the classroom, but depending on the, on the, on the course, we're also talking about in the context of history and in that framework and in that context. So one of the things that I love about history of psychology is people say, oh, you know, as we talk about this, you know, this is a brand new topic. This is nobody's ever thought of this before. So, for example, uh, some of the the things when people talk about um, anti-intellectualism, and you know, talk about oh, well, that's you know, that's a, that's a really new concept. I'm like, eh, actually, you can trace that back to the late Middle Ages with Montaigne, hmm. you know, as a French philosopher who talked about you know some of the seeds of anti-intellectualism and and how some people are better off not studying and not knowing the difference. So yes, we're looking at today's information, but being able to place it in the context of where that basis of thought came from and, and how it's really woven its way through the fabric of history and through the fabric of thought is, is really what makes it fascinating. Mm. And, and being able to, to understand and help, help students trace that thread uh, where they say, oh, I'm, I'm really interested in this. And, and you, know, you you follow it back through the, through the tapestry of the history of psychology, the history of thought, um, of how we uh, of how we think about it and approach it, um, it's it's really cool. Um, and you know maybe my maybe that's just my inner nerd escaping, um, and I'm attributing to students more interest in you know the, the esoteric parts of, of psychology than they should. But it's that fun part. It's that ability to say, it's not that nothing is new because there are things that are new, uh, and and they do. But as, even as we generate new theory, for example, new theory in psychology, there's bases in other places. So, you know, you know, why is it that, you know, humanism came about? Well, it didn't just come about as a response or a reaction to behaviorism. Humanism came about because we look at how people motivate and how people do things. You know, when we look, for example, at courage... You know, is there one type of courage? You know, what, what, what do you think of when you think of courage? I think of somebody else, not
1: myself. <laughs> um, not afraid of, of consequences um, in order to get something across that that person
2: or myself would deem important. So, and, <clears throat> and, that's, a, and that's a great thing. And, and, and Rollo May, psychologist and, and minister, would call that social courage, which is that ability to do that. But he also talked about physical courage, and some people would think, oh, physical courage, that's, you know, I'm going to intervene, and da da but Rollo May actually flipped it on its head, and he said, actually, physical courage is the courage not to engage in a physical manner. It's that, it's that ability to engage, but ensure that you don't engage or utilize physicality. So May talks about four different types of courage, which is great, and you know, you think, oh, okay, great. Why are we talking about courage when we talk about intelligence? The importance of courage, and specifically what you're talking about in terms of that social courage and that emotional courage, is the ability to present intelligence that will be unpopular. And it's that, you know, this is, this is the story that data tells the information that was collected by the people in the field or by our instruments in the ground or our satellites in the sky or whatever it is, when you put it all together, this is the story it tells. This is how it comes together. It may or may not be popular. It may or may not go with your political views, but intelligence isn't political. It just is. So as a consequence, when you think about and ask the, the other question of, how is it when you put a product together you know where is it going it doesn't matter where it's going what matters is what story does the data tell are the relationships valid is the information valuable do you have the right information as part of it and that's why we engage in structured analytic techniques around intelligence it's the same way that as we talk about decision making how do we do it when people make decisions? Do we look at the second and third order effects or like a singer from the nineties said, is it crashing by design? I think it was Pete Townsend. You know, do you just, everything happened simply because it just crossed your mind. Boom. And it's, and it's out there. Or, or do you really take the time to think if I do this, here's the, here's the second part. But then what happens after that? And for, uh, for men of a certain age, you know, as I as I talk to them, I like, okay. So think about that decision. Okay, what's your wife going to think about that decision? What she think? What's she going to think about that decision a week from now?
1: Uh, and, and it's interesting. That's that's important to me as far as trying to figure out how the, how my actions affect others,
2: good or bad. Well, yeah. And and you know, when you, when you talk about it in the intelligence perspective, um, how those actions are going to impact others is huge. Yeah. Uh, when you do it in a national security level, you're not talking about, you know, your your spouse or your partner or your child or your best friend. You're talking about decisions that are going to un- unravel on a geopolitical basis.
1: Let's jump back to uh, day-to-day. Yeah. But let's talk about your naval, naval side, uh, your intelligence side. So do you have a, a particular client that you work for, or are there multiple clients that you work for?
2: So, um you know, again, I'm I'm with the Navy, so I produce um, intelligence on behalf of the Navy.
1: Okay. So, um, but you're not necessarily working with one client at a particular time. You might be working with multiple
2: clients at the same time, or so, is that not true? So the indications warning cell provides strategic intelligence to, um, to a particular uh, group that utilizes geopolitical intelligence in a strategic way. Got it. So it's not
1: necessarily, I mean, it's just... You don't even know. Do you know who you're providing for? Oh, I do. Okay. I'm uh, not sure if that was I'm the not, case. I, I can't tell you. No, 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 that's fine. And no, I'd have to kill
2: you. Well, that, there
1: you go. I was expecting that. Okay. So it's okay. You can tell me now. It's okay. <laughs> um, um, so tell me about the day-to-day with your naval
2: intelligence job. You know, a typical day in a day-to-day is actually the the first part of it is just like a job, just like my psychology job, which is I get up. I start the coffee pot first. That's actually more important than you know, uh, because I drink coffee for your protection. Um, <laughs> what decision-making does it go into making coffee? Uh, it's basic. That's a, that's a basic life decision-making. So there are certain decisions that we make which keep our lives going, which is, you know, you know I, should I make coffee? Do I have food?
1: So. You know, how would it alter your day if you didn't have coffee first thing in the morning and would that would would we be in some serious danger this country if well, uh, it, if you didn't
2: get your coffee um well it really depends on your proximity to me at the time i think <laughs> 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 so yeah no i uh it, it, bad headaches and and uh and bad moods uh, got it. are associated Fair with enough. that um so you'd be a threat i would absolutely yeah i would absolutely be a threat got without it, coffee got it okay So so we try to keep, we, (laughs) we try to keep one bag of coffee in reserve at all times. (laughs) Um, so if there's, if, if we're down to the last bag of coffee in the cupboard, there's a, yeah, we need to go today. We need to go to the store today, Mm. but I'll start with a, you know, put on a pot of coffee and quite literally I will read, I'll read the New York times. I'll read the wall street journal. I'll read the headlines and some of the articles on the BBC, uh,
1: and, now, correct me if I'm wrong, but we've gone through this list once before. Uh, same list. Wow. So you're double di- double dipping, I think, is what you're saying.
2: I, you know, I think, I think, I think, from an intellectual <laughs> perspective, yeah, we are, we are kind of double dipping a little. There's there's a, there's a certain amount of wash rinse repeat associated <laughs> with that, but um, but the other but the other part of that is okay. It's it's the what happened in the rest of the world overnight that I need to know about that's gonna impact some of the things that we're working on or what's new uh, or what isn't. You know, everybody talks about, oh, you know, the stuff that happens in the top secret space. Yeah, read the New York Times. There's a reason that all great analysts start by reading reading the paper, the open source paper first. Because it leads to completing a picture, potentially, of what you may be seeing later in the day. It does, and you know, some of it's completing a picture of what you're going to see later in the day. Some of it provides context as, you know, for that. Some of it is that nuance, and some of it is you know, when you get that, you know, that beeping, breaking news on, on your phone, which is you know, a new headline, doesn't necessarily make it through the analytical process that you'd see on the high side, but that could be really important those are the things you need to know because it will, it will help paint the picture that you'll need later on. And you never know when you need burnt umber, uh, to complete that picture. And it could be that that's, that is what it is.
1: All right. So you've, uh, you've now gone through and you've read your, your papers and you're up on, uh, on your, your day's events or your overnight events. What's,
2: uh, what's next for you? What, what happens during your, your day? You know, I'll go into, uh, I'll go into the spaces and then, uh, Read, you know, read the briefs and the highlights that have come in from the other combatant commands around the world. What the other analytical areas say: Hey, here's what's important. Here's what's happening in our part of the world. Some of that is highlighted and contextualized by some of the things I've read earlier. Uh, some of it is new information. Some of it is uh, more complete information. But it'll it enables you to paint that full picture, as you said, so that we can you know, really provide the background and the nuance uh, for what we're doing. And sometimes you don't get all the information in one day. So, you know, there's some things that, you know, we'll work on for a week, two weeks. And by then, you are like, yep, we've got what we need and it's time to move on. So
1: are you looking for something in particular that is going to trigger you to write a report? Or are you constantly writing a report anyway? And when is the point when you need to get a message on to somebody else to say, hey, you
2: need to see this? Well, you never want to be the highest ranking guy with a secret. That's just not a recipe for success from a national security standpoint or, you know, from a personal or professional standpoint. Yeah. Uh, you want to make sure that those things are, uh, are, are moving along. So there's some things which are hot. And, and you get them, you're like, yeah, I got to move this on now. Uh, and then there are some other things like, okay, this provides context. I need to roll this into this other part and you can do that. And, you know, the, the structured analytic techniques for intelligence analysis that we talk about provide the different ways to do that. Is it a new piece around which we're going to build a product? Does it, uh, help us understand a product we're currently working on? And a lot of it also deals with, uh, you know, what's the deadline that you have? And there have been briefs where they've said, well, what about this? I'm like, mm. The data support no conclusions at this time. I can't, I, I can't, I can't tell you. It's not because I don't know. It's just, we, you know, we don't have all the information. It's, we, we just don't have enough reliable information to produce a product at this point. Got it. Let's talk about the hot stuff. So,
1: when you do get a hot stuff uh a, a piece of hot information, do you have a hotline to somebody at the top that you need to, or are we talking about something where you need to let your
2: higher ups understand uh, and let them put it into into intelligence forms So the collectors and the people who gather your information they don't work for me, so you know a, a piece of hot information is going to be hot or salient because of something we're working on so You know, we'll see a piece of information and, you know, to the guys working down the hall, like, man, we don't really care, but it doesn't, eh, it's not relevant for us, but for us, we're like, oh, this is it. This is the, that completes the story, this completes the story because it's all a function of, you know, kind of what you're working on, what, what that story is. But there's some things that, that we'll get and we're like, yeah, our boss needs to know this now. So, you know, you type it up, send it off in an email or you pick up a phone and make a call.
1: So you're not like Commissioner Gordon. You don't have a red phone that you can just pick up and... It's not red. Batman is right on the other end. It's not
2: a red phone. It's not a red phone. It's not a red phone.
1: It's possibly blue is what we're saying. Possibly. possibly. a blue phone. Possibly a blue phone. That's, yeah. Now that's intelligence. It's <laughs> important stuff. All right. That's, uh, that's really interesting uh, to understand that. I'm not going to push any harder than this because I no, feel like fine. you may pull a gun on me at any moment now. I'm so, not, I'm not uh, currently armed. All right. I'm not Excellent. currently armed. Excellent. Excellent. That's- Tell me a little bit about how somebody might uh, get involved with this kind of work. If, if this is interesting to somebody, you know, what are the steps potentially of becoming part of the
2: intelligence community? You know, for, for me and my job as Naval Intelligence, um, there's, I came in through a program called the Direct Commission Officer Program. And that, that is a program in which they look at people who are older. Uh, they bring a certain degree of experience and a skill set of either, you know, background like me in intelligence. I work with a lot of guys in law enforcement. I work with some lawyers. Uh, I work with a guy who was a former human collector for the army, but it's a a program which enables people to come directly into the officer corps and utilize their expertise in a way which is relevant and it's timely. You know, that being said, you know this the dco program a direct commission officer program you come in uh you go to two week uh what we call knife and fork school where they teach you how to wear the uniform and you know you line this up and make sure your buttons are done and you know your hair is cut and you you by the way by the way congratulations you 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 are within regs
1: i would fail at the absolute minor uh, I mean, the, no, the first haircut. day I'd be done. So. The
2: haircut's perfect. Well, no, yeah, that's
1: just a forced inevitability. That wasn't really planned. But. Well, it's coming for all of us. <clears> uh, yeah, okay.
2: I, I, I'm, I'm getting closer. Is day.
1: that why they go for an older sect? Because your hair is already <laughs> falling out and a buzz cut's not going to really...
2: Uh, could be.
1: Could okay, be. all right. No, nope, fair enough, fair enough.
2: But uh, <clears> you, go, you go through this and You need to do two weeks of uh, knife and fork school, how to wear the uniform, how to salute, how to march. Marching, by the way, I have not done since DCO school. And so that's, uh, that's always pleasant. And then they send you to uh, Navy Intel School where they teach you how to do analysis the, the Navy way and, and the way that the Department of Defense does it. And you know, that goes into, hey, here's where information comes from, here are the different platforms, here are the different ways that we get it, as well as here's how to analyze it, here's how to present it. And you know, part of the ongoing professional development is how do you brief it and how do you present that information. You know that's something that I try to get better at every day.
1: So, so there's there's obviously a way that the Navy does things, or or the way that intelligence community does things. Is there a civilian equivalent that might be a stepping stone to make that uh, step into that intelligence community?
2: Yeah, absolutely. There's uh, there's actually uh, two different pathways on that. There's the there's the government way where you can apply directly to. You know, one of the intelligence community entities like uh, NSA, CIA, you know, Defense Intelligence Agency, National Reconnaissance Office, Office of Naval Intelligence, you know, Office of the Director of National Intelligence, you know, apply that way. And then there are the, uh, the private companies like Raytheon, Lockheed, Kaki, you know, some of the other places, Boeing which provide contractors and and do contractor intelligence, where the contractors come in and and do that analysis. So if you're looking to do, you know, straight up analysis without the decision-making part, that would be more of a contractor route, because contractors aren't actually allowed to make decisions in the government. You need government people to do that. Whereas if you want to be, you know, also in the analysis, but then be able to To uh, kind of morph into policy and and that type of thing then you would go the the government route and if you're interested in the military side of it and the military intelligence and providing things that way uh, that would be you know I would go Navy or Air Force personally very good sea or air is what you're saying Pretty much. Forget I mean, the, uh, skip the land. Well, no, the, I mean, the Army guys are good. I mean, when we were, you know, when I was deployed, the joke was that the Army intel guys did a, did a great job on the weather. <laughs> they, did, they did a great job on the weather. Ouch. Well, I mean, it's just, it's, it's a different mindset. You know, the Army is always on the ground, and with the Army on the ground, and they, you know, they gave us a hard time to say, you know, they, the Army has more boats than the Navy, and, and they're right. They do. They're just very, very small. Um, <laughs> We like pointing out, the Navy likes to point out that they have more planes than the Air Force, which is true, but their planes are very, very big. The part of it is for each of the branches, it's what is it you're looking for and and what is really your domain awareness. And for Army, domain awareness is where am I going to put the, where am I putting infantry, where am I putting tanks, where am I putting people? And that is heavily weather dependent you know the navy we spend a lot of time looking at what happens at sea and that's incredibly important the air force you know 70% of the of of the earth is covered by water 100% is covered by air that's going up by the way yeah it is yeah. going up <laughs> um so it's really just the scope of 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 where things are you know we joke that the only people who can who can make derogatory comments about the military are other people in the military although i joke if I had to put a list of people that I were going to be deployed with, I'd make sure I had somebody from every branch of service with me yeah. uh, because, you know, just like intelligence, there's things that I'm very, very good at, but there's stuff that I'm really bad at. Yeah. Uh, and I want to make sure that th- I'm surrounded by people who are very good at what I'm bad at. Uh, it's a, yeah, it's a competition until your
1: backs are against the wall and you need your brothers in arms, right? So
2: Exactly. Yeah, I and, get that. I and get that. Even in academic administration, I'm always going to hire people who are good at the things that I'm bad at because that's that's going to complement. It's going to make it's going to make all of us better. It's going to make all of our products better. It's going to make everything that we do better. So yeah, I did that on the civilian side. I try to do that on the military side, as we do all of that. So you know, my nonprofit role, I do the same thing. You know, it's it's actually a group you might be interested in. Uh, International Association for Intelligence Education, uh, which uh, neatly brings together both intelligence and education. Hmm. And there are people who are experts in all the different domains and all the different types of intelligence. And it's a neat way to bring people together to talk about what it is that makes them different, what it is that makes them unique. How do we take all this different information and, and create products which are timely, they're relevant, they're important and provide decision-makers with all the information they need to make an unbiased decision and really to be able to present information in a, ma- in a way that's free of bias. Uh, tell me this. Do you enjoy your job slash jobs? I love my jobs. I absolutely love my jobs. On the teaching side, there's nothing better than seeing a student understand a concept that they have had trouble with. And helping them understand that. Because when the light goes on, you know, that's a light that's just going to shine. And they're going to carry that with them forever. And, and that just that's, that's magic. That's gold. And on the intelligence side, you know, I'll never be able to say publicly, yeah, I, I helped with that. But, you know, and being able to see and provide, you know, the best non-biased information possible and the best non-biased intelligence possible is is really really important because that's what's going to make our world a safer place. That's what's going to make make the world a better place for my children, yours and our children's children. So uh, how do you separate
1: knowing something about a particular piece of intelligence and then knowing that the group or the or the person that you're giving it to does the exact opposite of what you wish it to be? <laughs> <laughs> or, or or even worse doesn't really take any of your information to heart and instead flips a coin and makes a decision based on that how do you separate that and realize that you can't control everything yep how do you deal with that or does
2: is there frustration that ever comes in that well, sometimes there is frustration but it's all part of compartmentalizing it and keeping you know one of the great things about my Intel work is that I literally cannot bring it home. Uh, Work stays at work. I have another phone. uh, And when that phone rings, you know, it has a very distinctive ringtone. And when that phone rings, you know, the family's like, "Ah, okay, dad's out of here. We'll see him tomorrow or whenever. But I literally leave work at work. That's actually a real benefit. One of the great things about being able to, uh, to get in the car and drive home is that it, it's that you know 30 minute 45 minute or 1 hour time period where you know i can i can kind of close that door and and compartmentalize and then you know not not yeah. think about it how hard
1: is it for you not to complain about something i mean I, I, you know my wife and i bitch at each other all day all, all night long about the things that have happened to us during the day and we we sort of unload you know that way and you you don't do you other people at your work that allow you to uh to be able to
2: commiserate or even just talk about some of the things that are frustrated well the struggle is real and you know we all have the same struggle and the same frustration so that's that's shared it's uh it's kind of funny when you know people say oh well talk to my wife and they say What's, what did your husband do oh you know he's in the navy oh what does he do well he's in college what does he do and he, he goes to meetings and talks on the phone. That's it, you know, and 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 we friend, and, and that's kind of her stock answers. He goes to meetings and talk on the phone. The thing is, she's not wrong. Right, <laughs> right, 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 sure. <laughs> and that's exactly what it is. But, you know, when I started this job, you know, she would say, oh, you know, tell me what happened at work. I'm like, I can't. Yeah. Um, that's got to be hard. So it, to some it degree. is. I mean, and, and while it's, while it can be hard or frustrating for me, I know it's, it's frustrating for her because you know, I know she she would love to make it better if if, if it's tough and some days, you know, how how bad was today? And I said Yeah, I'll read the paper tomorrow and we'll find out, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and can you talk about things after the fact? That the cat's out of the bag. No, you you can't some, even do it. Well, that. Um, yeah. you know, it depends. Just because information is, is out there doesn't mean that it's declassified. Right, right, So if you mean, you know, for example, you talk about, you know, WikiLeaks and, and some of those other things. Uh, just because those documents were on the front page of the Washington Post or the front page of the New York Times, that doesn't declassify those documents. They're still classified. Yep. It's just that, you know, more people have seen them. Yep. doesn't mean we can talk about them. We, we can't. Right, So. Right you know is, it is are there some frustrations there it's like no it's actually it's actually quite a responsibility to have and understanding the importance of that responsibility and kind of what what you've been entrusted to do and entrusted to keep to keep secret yeah. uh, which is why you know if you were following that you know yeah. that guy on uh, at joint base cape cod who the national air national guard guy Who is posting things on his Discord server. What are you thinking? I mean, just no. No. It's there's nothing, there's nothing okay about that. No. You know, each job has comes with responsibilities. And one of the cool things about my job, and one of the things that I love the most about my job, is that it has taken me all over the world. It has Exposed me to people in situations that 30 years ago I never would have dreamed of and made me appreciate even more what it is to be a citizen of the world and how important positive engagement of the U.S. is to ensuring a stable world. It's amazing. I mean, yes, people will look at the world and they'll say, oh, but there's a war in Ukraine now. Yeah, there's one one war in Ukraine right now. But Europe has never been more unified. The EU has never been more unified. NATO has never been closer together. The level of cooperation between Western and Western-allied nations has never been more positive. The view of a safe and secure world is one which appears to be within reach and appears to be within grasp. Uh, and people say, well, how can you, how can you say that with, with a war in Ukraine? I don't know how the war in Ukraine is going to end. I really, really don't. But I do know that Europe is stronger. I know that NATO is stronger. I know that the U.S. and the Five-Eye countries are closer than they've ever been. Being an American internationally is no longer a pariah. It's okay to be an American overseas now. If I can, I'll tell you a, a story from, from when, I was, when I was in high school, uh, because it, I, I think it helps solidify what it means. I was 14, I think, 14 or 15, and I wasn't a very good French student when I was in high school. Uh, in fact, I failed French three. My parents were like, we're having nothing, nothing of that. That's, that's not acceptable, and they were right. It wasn't okay to fail French. So uh, they thought the best way for me to not fail French again was to go live in France. <laughs> which, you know, if you need to eat, you got to learn how to speak French. So, you know, I was, I was highly motivated uh, to, to engage and to do that. And the family that I was staying with had a, had a summer house in a little village called uh, Freilady, which is uh, in the forest of Abbeville in the, in the northeast. And we would go there on the, on the weekends. So one weekend we had gone for a you know 40 mile bike ride through the through the forest and a, you know everything. it was great and I was just kind of walking through the little village and this old guy who I don't know how old he was but he looked ancient to me at 15 but and he said uh, vous êtes l'américain you know you're the american like it's, it's a very small village and news travels fast and I said I said you know we oui, and He said, can I shake your hand? Okay, sure. And he said, I've always wanted to shake the hand of an American. And I said, why? And he said, well, in World War II, I was in a concentration camp. My concentration camp was liberated by the Americans. And I couldn't shake their hand. I was so weak, I couldn't get up. I couldn't say thank you. You're the first American I've seen since 1945 wow wow
1: that's tough yeah
2: (laughs) it's a little heavy for a 15 year old but yeah but it reinforced to me the importance and the value of doing good in the
1: world yeah absolutely well and there's no question that america has a role to play we've played it for hundreds of years i guess uh, certainly since uh, since world war 1 we we've sort of shown a little bit of military might and in trying to stick up for those who can't stick up for themselves but um you're right doing it as a as a group these days it's nice to hear y- your perspective in the, in the positive way that that you know you are talking about europe uh in a positive way these days i mean you know, the sky is falling, it seems, um, with 24-hour news cycles and things like that. It certainly feels like that's the case. So it's nice to hear it in a positive way. And, and that's a nice analogy you, you yeah. made to uh, to the importance of America. As an intelligence guy, yeah. have you seen my folder and what's in it? I'm assuming you looked it up before you came over here. How am I doing? I You're- guess it's... I think you're
2: doing okay. I will say, you know, okay. as, a, as, a, as a military guy, I, I can't look domestically. But I did tell some other people who, who can that we were going to talk. And Is it a thick folder or is it pretty? I, I, that pretty, I can't tell you. Uh, they, there, was, there were some dramatic long pauses, but uh, I think you're good. Well, there was
1: that thing that happened to me, you
2: know, a well, few years Well, the thing with the guy, back. you know, the thing yeah, with the guy know, and the place yeah, and the, you yeah. know, but we don't need to talk about that. All right. Well, that's good to know. <laughs> Lots
0: Lotsofmaps.com. Vintage, local, national, and world maps for an affordable price. 99% of our maps are $25 or less. Great as gifts. Frame them or put them under glass for your home, vacation home, or as a memory of a special place. Lots Lotsofmaps.com.
2: Aside from the nuts and bolts of what I do, um, in terms of the, of the specific things, one of the most challenging parts of the job hmm. is, is briefing. It's not writing the papers, it's not writing the briefs, it's actually talking about it. Um, because when you're, when you're briefing and you're, and you're presenting your product, you need to know who you're presenting, know yeah. who you're talking to, know what their areas of interest are, know what they find important, and also understand the data that they need and the analysis they need to make their decisions. And that's hard. That's really, really hard. I actually teach people how to brief, both on the military side and at the university. And you know, some of the key components and the key things that I talk about are, let's say you're given a 30-minute slot to brief. Plan on 15 minutes. Use half, and of that half, Five minutes should be the key, and the other 10 minutes can be supporting details if they have questions. Make sure it packs a punch is what you're saying. It, it, those five minutes, got to pack a punch. Yeah. Okay. And, and even more importantly is to say, okay, I've got 30 minutes, so I should really bank on 15. Can I tell this story in a minute or less? Mm. Because if I can tell the story in a minute or less, then... That means that both you know the information, you know the intelligence, you know the relevance and the importance in such a way that they're going to be able to grasp it. And it's targeted to your listener. Currently, you know, my INW cell is we brief the same people five days a week, but every other month, we do a brief to a different audience. We use the same product, but we use a different narrative. So th- Because they're looking at it in a totally different way. Because they're looking way. at it in, yeah. a, in a totally different way. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's important to understand we're not changing the information. We're not changing the analysis. Those key points stay the same. It's the presentation of that because we know that you know, this guy gets information. He's an auditory learner. And how do we know that? Because through a series of conversations, I found out that as a kid, he liked being read to at bedtime. So he liked hearing stories. So I'm going to frame it That's as this. That's not a st- classified, by the way? No, I didn't tell you who it was. <laughs> but we'll frame the product and we'll frame the analysis as if we're telling a story. The other guy's a former accountant. So we're going to hammer it as bullet points. Boom, 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 boom. It's We're not changing the analysis. We're not changing the product. We're presenting it in a way that he's going to understand. So it's, it's part of that knowing your audience piece. And that is really, really hard. The other challenge is, is, as you're presenting, and we present to the same people five days a week generally, is not becoming too familiar with it or not becoming too familiar with the problem. Well, you know, as we talked about the other day, like, no, no, assume every time they walk in, here's what you need to know, and you present it because we only have 30 minutes. So present it, be brief, and let them ask the questions that they're gonna want to know the answers to so that they can pull the threads that they need so that as they go back and do their jobs, they're going to be like, okay, I have this analysis. I have this. And I know the supporting information was here so that, uh, so that they can do it that way.
1: When you're briefing somebody, how often are you doing written briefs versus auditory briefs? Or are you
2: writing everything regardless, uh, but, but you do give the auditory brief? So, so for example, so for that every other month brief, you know, we'll put the slide deck together. I will write out my brief. I will look at the slides, I'll say my part out, I will then write it out, I will read that, I will correct it, I will read it again, I will read it out loud, I will brief it again, out loud, not looking at the paper, so that as I'm doing my brief, I'm presenting that information like it's mine.
1: Craig, tell me, What's next in the intelligence community? What's what's the future hold of a tel- intelligence uh, information? Is, are there new ways of gathering? Are there new ways that you're going to be able to report? Are you going to be able to do a mind meld and just kind of beam transmissions over to someone? I mean, w- what is happening in the future?
2: Well, I've been working on my Spock, you know, Vulcan mind meld piece, <laughs> and I'm, I'm hoping that that's going to be ready for primetime soon. Excellent, that's that really Excellent, excellent. But in terms of looking at the future, I mean, the way that we collect information, uh, that changes every day with technology. And our ability to engage and collect information and put it together you know, changes all the time. When we talk about the future, what is the future of analysis going to look like? Certainly there's, I mean, you can't look at the way that artificial intelligence is operating today and not think about what role is AI gonna play in analysis. AI can't do analysis for us. It, it can't be that standalone piece that says, oh, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna plug it in. Um, we can't look at analysis and information at, without having a human in the loop. There's a part of analysis which says, this just doesn't feel right. So we need to, we need to look. And sometimes, sometimes our gut's right, sometimes our gut's wrong, but every time we need to listen to it. As we look at the future of analysis, Part of that is going to be being able to get a greater understanding of future motivations. What are the things that are going to motivate people to do things in the future and how we're going to look at that? So that's going to be a a big part of it. I think there's going to be a larger part of intelligence analysis, which focuses more on the individuals and understanding their psychology and understanding their motivations and understanding what happens as decision makers age and how that's going to play into how our adversaries are going to to operate and how they're going to function. You know, what is it is going to impact the way that that our adversaries think about things? And understanding that, I think the other part of the future is going to be moving towards a more, moving towards a broader cultural understanding of our adversaries, not only of our adversaries, but a broader cultural understanding of the people with whom we're going to work and interact with on the world stage. You know, when we talk about, you know, really the information age and how we've become a global community, you know, since really the 50s and the 60s and and how that global community has has come about, we're developing a common language and a common way of speaking. But as we talk about with uh, with the Brits, you know, we're we're people co- separated by a common language. Ask any what they mean when they say you simply must come for dinner to an American that means great I'll be there Thursday to a Brit that means you're never coming to dinner <laughs> so you know understanding that you know the nuances and things mean different things so I think you know I, I think the future of that is going to have uh, a greater reliance on cultural understanding and cultural awareness of what's taking place when the U.S. makes a long-term strategic plan we look at it in a two or a four-year event horizon. When the Chinese look at a strategic plan, they look at a 50-year or a 100-year event horizon. That's a completely different way of looking at the world and and creating a plan. And the vast majority of people in the U.S. don't understand that because we have a a new president every four years and we have a new Congress every two. When you look at my other job in, in decision sciences, The future of that is gonna rely even more on the modeling and the mathematical modeling that we're gonna be able to do to look at how people are going to make those decisions. And the modeling there is gonna look at what are the second and third order effects, or even the fourth order effects of not only routine, but, or tactical decisions, but strategic decisions. and we talk about strategic decisions, such as, you know, what crops are we gonna plant? And you may be thinking, well, you know, what possible relevance could, you know, am I going to plant, plant soybeans or wheat? You know, what, what's the strategic implications of that? Well, the UN Food Development Program decided uh, in the 90s that they were going to transition from buying American and Canadian wheat to buying Ukrainian wheat. Ukraine became the breadbasket of the world. Well, what's happening now with the war in Ukraine? So the question, well, can't the Canadians and the Americans plant wheat? Well, we could, but our farmers are planting soy, and they're making a lot of money off of soybeans. So, you know, these are the things as we look at, you know, how those decision sciences and how those decisions are going to operate from an academic perspective. You know, let's, let's get a handle on those second and third order decisions and, and see what, you know, what those are going to be and what those are going to look like. The ability to do that, not only to research it, but to work with the minds who are currently in college and graduate school to talk about how those are going to go—that's the really compelling and exciting part of that, you know, that decision science research and the and the psychology teaching.
1: Uh, Craig Gruber, uh, research associate professor of psychology, of American University, and department uh, officer in charge, chief of staff of Indication and Warning Cell. Um, you are a man of uh, of many, uh, well,
2: let's say a man of intelligence. How's that? <laughs> you know, it's it's very rare that people say that, so I'm I'm going to take that for the compliment. <laughs> I hope, I, which I hope it is.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much for enlightening us today on uh, on on a great subject and and a great job. Thank you for coming.
2: Well, thanks for having me. This has been a real honor and
1: privilege for me. Thank you. Please join us again for another uh, episode of Occupations coming soon.
0: Occupations has been brought to you by lotsofmaps.com. Please follow Occupations the Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to find information about our next episode or to see what past episodes are available.